Welcome to the Rising Laterally podcast. Each episode, you will learn something fascinating so you can bring big ideas to your small talk. Your growth is our growth. Listening to these episodes, subscribing to our weekly newsletter, engaging our posts on social media, and sharing our show with your friends and family is deeply appreciated as we work hard to expand this platform. You can also visit our page at buymeacoffee.com to contribute what you think the show is worth. To the folks who are taking this step, we can't thank you enough. Look for the link in our show notes for more details about how you can support and follow us. And now, please enjoy this episode. Today's guest is Paul Denniston, the founder of Grief Yoga, which uses yoga, movement, breath, and sound to release pain and suffering and connect to love. Paul is the author of the forthcoming book, Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss, and Do Empowerment. Paul, before we get into your book, which we're really excited to talk about, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And I heard in one of your online appearances that you used to be a movement teacher for actors. We were just talking about movies a second ago, pre-show. That sounds like a really cool job. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, totally. Well, first off, thank you for having me on. So, yeah, you know, I, I um, have movement and dance in my background, and uh, I was a choreographer for a little bit with shows, and I had this uh, a teaching gig at the Stella Adler Academy in Hollywood, where I would teach movement to actors to, first off, kind of give them more awareness of their body, um, and learn how to uh, find ways to express um, challenging emotions, pent up emotions to help them to become more expressive, to help them to find, uh, deeper connections within themselves and to others. So, uh, yeah, I loved doing that work. It was, uh, yeah. And, and I think that the work of an actor is, is also a really powerful tool because it allows us to understand another person's situation and circumstance. I think it, it's a great, um, dive deep into empathy. Totally. Yeah. Did you do some acting or theater yourself? I did. I did. I was an actor for uh, for many years. And, uh, you know, the thing that I loved about acting was is that I, I loved um, being a storyteller. I loved um, getting involved in stories, immersing myself. I was a very shy kid growing up. And so I think that acting for me was a place that allowed me to finally maybe be seen to get in front of other people and stuff. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a really good confidence um, builder for someone who was very shy and insecure as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. That can really help you open up. So was dance and theater the bridge to yoga for you eventually? Yeah, I mean, I certainly felt like um, movement was, was very important in my life. And uh, interestingly enough, as I was teaching uh, at the Stella Adler, I was also going to yoga classes at the same time. Just because I knew that um, I was just trying to seek more peace, and uh, I, you know, was also doing meditation retreats. Um, and the thing that I really was drawn to with yoga was the aspect of a moving meditation. Mm-hmm. And the heart of, I believe, what yoga is about is about compassion, and it really gave me the space to be centered and present. And to start to identify what the struggle is and uh, to learn how to to move with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what you just described really is a process that we all would experience in life in terms of going through expressions, trying to find deeper connectivity, searching for peace, you know, identifying what our problems and, you know, are are and how we can transform from it. I just feel like that's just a part of living and something that I got from your book, which I thought was a uh, awesome is that emotion is energy in motion. So as you're talking about movement and dance and acting and eventually yoga, the I'm thinking about motion and I'm thinking about emotion. And when you look at the word emotion and you think about it as energy in motion, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there are certain emotions that we're drawn to that we like. We want to feel happy. We want to feel joyful. We want to, you know, those are emotions that we like. But there's also emotions that we judge, um, whether that be guilt, anger, shame, jealousy. I mean, these are these are also emotions. And, and so um, I think that what I was drawn to as I was starting to create this practice was uh, the practice of grief yoga at the time when I was developing it. Um, I was wanting to shine a light into the shadow of some of those emotions that we may suppress or we may judge. And, you know, I spent so many decades trying to run away from those challenging emotions or hiding away or keeping them pent up that I thought to myself, you know, well, what if I created a practice that instead channeled these challenging emotions as fuel and to learn how to express them and to release them to help us to find a deeper place of, of connection to love, to, to gratitude, to joy, to grace. So, um, I, I was a big component of not um, bypassing the pain, but to instead learn how to channel it in empowering ways. Mm. And and when did the idea of grief yoga come to you? How, how did you kind of build out the program, Paul? Well, I was going to yoga classes to deal with anxiety. And I what I learned was there was a lot of unresolved grief beneath the surface. And grief can look in many different ways. It could be, you know, anger. I believe anger is sadness's bodyguard. And a lot of that anger was getting suppressed. And what would happen with the anger is, is I was turning in on myself and being cruel to myself. Um, I was dealing with lots of sadness and depression and was using sex, drugs, and rock and roll to try to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I started you know, one of the things as I was becoming a yoga teacher and learning many different forms of yoga and becoming a teacher in many different forms, one of the things that I was drawn to within classes was about the space of creating an intention within mm-hmm. the practice. Like, what's what's the intention for being here today? Mm-hmm. I always believe you teach what you need to learn. And so I was like, you know what, what if I spent, you know, I started to create classes that really um, took a look at loss and took a look at the grief um, or these challenging emotions and what if I learned a way to, to, to move with them. And so I just started to basically create a class that I thought this would be cool to take and um, something that was empowering, but also something that allowed our vulnerability to be witnessed and, and, and to move with. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with something that most people aren't taught to deal with loss and grief. I mean, growing up and also just holding things in, holding anger in, you know, growing up, you just don't show emotion or 
you see your folks and they're not showing a bunch of emotion and everything kind of gets bottled up and that's all you know. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that even just, you know, I mean, my, my father was a Baptist minister. He judged anger um, and or he tried to suppress it. And then all of a sudden it would explode. It would be frightening mm. to witness. And that's how I handled it. I did the same thing. And I just, you know, um, I, I think that um, we judge emotions. And uh, I think that the key within this is this is a practice that I wanted to create that wasn't as much about physical flexibility, but more about emotional liberation. Because, the, I mean, all of these emotions are just part of who we are. And so um, it's like learning how to, to move with it and to flow with it because the body holds on to it. The body remembers the, the pain, the trauma. So, you know, how can we move with it um, in a compassionate space? And sometimes you don't know how much is bottled up until you go through an experience like grief yoga. You uh, share a really powerful story in the book about how one time you stepped onto the mat and again, you were making you were making your intention, physical flexibility and trying to get every move right. And then a yoga teacher approached you and said something that really kind of broke you in a good way. It sounded like I was wondering if you might be able to tell us about that story. Yeah. I mean, I think that what was happening at that time was um, I was looking at my, I was comparing myself to everybody else on the mat which, mm. you know, was just a reflection <laughs> of what I was doing in my life. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, I had spent so much time um, running away from these challenging emotions that it allowed me to say, no, sit with this or be with this or move with this. Mm. And my, my, my gut instinct is, no, I want to get out of here. I want to, I don't want to be here. And uh, I literally at that yoga class was just like looking at the clock going, I'll be here for five more minutes, five more minutes. And I'm sure that the, you know, the yoga teacher could witness my struggle in that space. And so I remember her coming over to me and she said, you know, she goes, I just want you to know you can rest whenever you need to, you know. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there was, um, um, you know, a moment of kindness in that space that, um, that I wasn't finding for myself and mm. it literally dropped me to my knees. And, uh, um, I, I just feel like, you know, in that space of, of, of kindness and compassion when we're struggling is, is really so important to have. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, as you say in the book, and I mean, as we all, you know, through our own experiences, we understand how chaotic and messy emotions can be. And sometimes it's really hard to move forward. And it's like, if someone can actually just drop an ounce of kindness in another person's world or compassion, like it goes a long way, especially since so many of us go through collective events. We just went through a collective event called the pandemic. We've gone through collective events like hurricanes and disasters. We've gone through 9-11. Some people have gone through the, you know, World War II. Some people have gone through the financial crisis. I mean, we've gone through these collective crises, if that's a word. And um, you know, we have to learn how to actually be more compassionate with each other. That's right. And because life is constantly changing, I mean, that is the one thing for certain law of nature teaches us that life will continually change. Sometimes the change is for the good and sometimes the change is, is, is not what we wanted. And so, um, I think in order, I think that learning how to, to adapt 
within, you know, loss is very important and um, just learning how to, to, to move with it, how to, to release the, the, the pain. It's a, uh, it, it, I, I think the pain demands expression mm, and yeah. we need, and, and most of the time what happens is, is the pain gets suppressed. Mm. Perhaps people don't want to deal with it. Perhaps it's too vulnerable to let out. Sometimes people are like, if I go into the pain, I'm never going to come out. Mm. But it's really about actually, no, if you, if you be with it and move with it and release it, it actually gives it the space to, you, to move on. So, um, yeah. Unlearn suppression and discover expression. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a, there's a psychologist, Edith Eager, and she has a, a great quote that I love. And she goes, expression is the opposite of depression. Hmm. So we need to learn, you know, healthy ways in expressing, you know, I know some many people can do it through writing or through painting or through, um, whatever that is. And, and I think that the body needs to find that expression too. And it could be anybody. I, I have a girlfriend of mine who, who does it through kickboxing to release anger. Um, so it's all, um, you know, and I think that we need to have as many tools as possible uh, to support us when we need it. But I do fully believe that um, we live so much within our heads that to just remember we got we got some issues in our tissues and uh, <laughs> those, need, those need to move through too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, expression is one of the locations in your cycle of compassionate transformation that you sort of structure the book around. The idea is that you move from awareness to expression to connection to surrender and then ultimately to evolution. Maybe we could start with awareness. What needs to happen in this location in your mind, Paul, the first location? Yeah. And just so you know, is this what, the way that I built this cycle of compassionate transformation is, is that sometimes people are like, grief is love with nowhere to go. And so this is giving a space where, you know, it guides us through a path that can lead us towards more, more peace, more empowerment and love. So that's really what this is designed for. And awareness being the first step is just really focuses on, on consciousness, on awareness and witnessing maybe whether it's what's outside of myself. And a lot of the times it's really what's inside. And so it's a, it's awareness of breath. It's an awareness of how to move the body in safe ways, especially as we move the spine. It's, it's literally a, a space to befriend the body as we move as a, as a way of a warm up to, uh, bring the mind body connection together. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you become more present. Correct. Especially when we're also distracted by everything so easily and so quickly. Like, and as you mentioned earlier, you've been talking about it. You kind of hide from your emotions. You um, run away from them. I've really found it interesting when you started to talk about like the idea that most of us understand that there's tension in our jaws, but yeah. I'm not sure how many people actually kind of connect the dots and how I actually think about the fact that when you have to remain silent of your emotions, like you literally cannot talk about your the thing that's bothering you, it's in your jaw. It's held Clench in your, your body. Jaw at night. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it seems so obvious talking about it now, but I mean, in the day to day, 
in terms of being aware, right? You feel tension in your jaw. You might think to yourself, well, maybe it's because I haven't been able to fully express myself about something. I need to find a way to do that. And maybe it's not through words. Maybe it's through, you know, grief yoga poses. Maybe it's through dance therapy. Maybe it's through laughter therapy. There's other ways, as you mentioned, there's other tools to get rid of that tension in your body. Yeah. And I mean, literally that technique that I work on specifically for that is what's called a jaw release. And I'll, I'll demonstrate a little bit of kind of like what I'm doing and mm -hmm. also can kind of see you to, to kind of like an idea of how we're go moving forward. So even with jaw release, it's just about clasping the palms in front of you and then inhale and then just kind of shaking the palms a little bit and then releasing any tension in your jaw. Just kind of oh, really loosen it up. It's loosening it up, but also what's happening there too is, is then I, as I start to kind of move forward, it's, it's an invitation to start to connect a little bit to sound using the vibration of the voice. Hmm. And again, it's a lot of the times when we're struggling and in pain, we might not necessarily have the words to talk about it, to share about it. It could be why things are getting suppressed and why you might be grinding your teeth at night. So just incorporating that space of sound is allowing the throat to begin to open, which is leading us towards expression. Yeah, the mind-body connection is very real and very overlooked. We had a, a former spine surgeon on in spring, Dr. David Hanscom, who his kind of driving message was that a lot of chronic back pain is actually driven from suppressed anger and anxiety. And it's more of a mental state that keeps chronic pain persistent than a physical state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of friends have listened to that episode and really connected with it. You know, they'll talk about their experience of having, you know, acute back pain one week. And then, you know, it's like, well, what happened that week? Well, had something really bad happened at work or something yeah. really bad happened in a relationship. And the, the, that connection is so real. And I think, um, especially during the pandemic, where a lot of us have spent maybe excessive amounts of time inside or attached to our screen or just the kind of outer world has slipped away from us a little bit and movement along with it. There's a lot of physical energy that's laying dormant in us right now, I think. Totally, totally. And and to recognize, I, I completely agree. And to also recognize that, you know, it's important to move and to stretch the spine. Um, and because when we're grasping and holding on to things tight, it, it affects the spine. And so the, I mean, the six different ways that we can move the spine now is arching the chest forward and rounding the spine back. So those are the one and two about how to move the spine. Another way is to twist. I'll, I'll demonstrate here. I'll just bring my palms together in front of like they're in prayer in front of my chest and to just lightly begin to twist from side to side, and you'll see that that's the third and fourth. It's a twisting from that side. And then the fifth and the sixth way as a side stretch is you inhale and lift the arms up, bring one arm down, and just have that sense of a lateral side stretch. Those are just gentle ways to begin to uh, move the spine. Um, and uh, it's very important that that is, that is the... Um, the structure in a way too about awareness so we can find ways to to move in a safe way and bring the attention from the mind into the body and then start to become aware of like what awareness of what the struggle is awareness of what the pain is mm -hmm. yeah and i know this book is really with uh dealing with loss and grief so i really want to drive one point home because awareness is also in those moments of grief uh something that you can think about is just like 
even in deep loss and deep grief, love still exists. So I know we're talking about movements here, but in terms of someone who really wants to understand how to deal with grief, it might be a new emotion for them and how to actually support someone else in grief. Just thinking about that, that even in your deepest loss, love still exists. And I think that could be really powerful to remember in those really tough moments. So while movement is important, some of these thoughts are equally as important as well. Thank you. I agree. I agree. And I mean, here's, here's my thought is, is that grief is, is love. Love and grief are a package deal. If I, if I, I can choose to avoid grief, but then in some ways what I will do is, is I, I, will, I won't really get to fully experience love. So um, I think that they're just they're companions in our life, and it's really about learning how to. And when I have found that I have given the space to be with and to sit with and to move with grief and loss, it has actually given me space to move into that has given me deeper joy and appreciation. Mm. But if I haven't given my space to let myself be with it, it's harder to feel those other emotions, those emotions mm. that I strive to have or feel. Yeah. And as you write in the book, a lot of people that are just beginning to process their grief feel like they'll never feel those emotions again. They'll never feel joy or kind of unbridled love or liberation. I feel like that's a pretty scary place to be. I myself haven't really, you know, I've had family members pass away, but no one that I'm especially close to, but I've seen friends go through the process of, of losing family members. And I totally get why it can push people into a place where they feel like life will never be the same. And and maybe in some way it won't, but it sounds like by processing it, you can, you can come out on the other side of it. And grief doesn't have to just be the, the death of a loved one. Grief can be, you know, the loss of a job. Grief can be the loss of what I thought my life was going to be. Um, grief can happen, you know, maybe you have a, a pet that passes away. Grief can be the betrayal um, of a relationship uh, or a friendship. Um, you know, grief can happen when you with, with an injury within the body. So um, uh, sadness, you know, can can really be about any type of different loss. It could be the loss of your home. Um, so it's whatever whatever loss is to you. Mm. But that's what makes it so tough because when you try to express that loss and you go to someone you think you can trust and then they come back with a response that's basically like, get over it, like that's hurtful right. in those moments where you're really looking for some space or looking right. for some support. And because I think collectively we struggle with this emotion, grief, we also struggle to understand that someone else can be really hurt by a loss that may mean may not have the same meaning to you, right? So just this idea of when someone approaches you, instead of just kind of saying, get over it, or, you know, life moves on, there's other ways and other techniques to actually let them kind of live in it for a moment so they can get through it. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that the, the most powerful thing to do when you're trying to hold space for another person who might be is, is to just, to not try to fix them or try, you know, it's to just acknowledge the loss. Even if you wanted to just say, I don't, I don't have the right words here, but just know I'm here with you and I will sit yeah. with you. Um, you know, I think another important thing is, is that when someone is, is, is going through a loss to not say the words, 
at least, you know, at, mm. at least she's not in pain anymore. At least you can move on to a better thing, whatever it is. Because what's happening then is, is that you're, you're minimizing their expression of their loss. So, um, so it, the, 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 the most, you know, and, and here's the thing. I also have compassion for people who, who don't know how to do this or be with this because I was one of those persons and, and, um, I want to just say it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant work for me to, because what, what's happening here is, is you're, you're literally sitting in the discomfort and to just recognize how challenging that is, but to also just know that, you know, all you have to do is, is to just mirror somebody and, and maybe just repeat back a little bit of what their struggle is. And um, for you to not also um, abandon yourself as you sit with that person to, to maybe, you know, consciously bring maybe your hands to your belly or your hands to your heart or something where you can also stay connected within your own space as you stay present within another person's loss. Totally. Not hard work. And it's a, it's a, it's a constant work I'm constantly doing on too, just, just so you know. Oh, this is all a work in progress, but that's what it takes. It's going to take the three of us to talk about this emotion, to talk about grief and spread it through the internet. And, you know, slowly but surely we'll collectively start <laughs> thriving. <laughs> and to just acknowledge, you know, thank, I'm, I'm just thankful. It's like three men talking about grief is, is just a, we, we, we as men also, I would feel like we, you know, I certainly was taught, you know, don't cry, go do something about it. So I, I think that we need to, um, you know, as, as men learn how to, to be with this and to, to, to hold space with this too. So that's why I, I appreciate this here now. Yeah, no, we were, just, we were, Arjun and I actually were just texting about that last night. It's, uh, we don't really think of it at this point because we've had a lot of conversations like this at Rising Laterally over the last year and a half, but it's definitely something that I think men struggle with just talking about the del the more delicate emotions in life. One thing I wanted to ask you, Paul, you know, you've worked with so many different people that have gone through grief. And again, there's all kinds of forms of grief. There's sometimes it's about a person. Sometimes it's not. Are there, is, are there universals to grief or in your mind is everyone's experience with it unique in its own way? I think that grief is as unique as our fingerprint and that everybody expresses it in different ways. Some people may desire to have connection and to have support. Some people might need to just curl up into a little bit of a shell and to need space and time. So I think that the thing is, is that, that we all, we all grieve differently and, and that's, that's, that's perfect. So, um, to not judge your grieving process, to not, judge others for not grieving the way that they should be, you know, to just kind of like to learn how to um, accept, you know, where we're at. But also for me, it's just like, but I also see a common thing as I work with people is that space of one, feeling stuck, and two, the breath being shallow. Hmm. I think a lot of the times the breath is shallow because there's a resistance, and when we breathe deeply, we tend to feel deeply. And so many mm. times within loss, as I've worked with people, it's like, I can't breathe. You know, I'm having a hard wow. time breathing. So learning how to breathe and learning how to move to not get stuck, I think are very important things that I, 
I have learned within this process. It's almost like just connecting with yourself first and like connecting with your own space again. It seems like that's part of the benefit of movement and of focusing on your breath, just like becoming a physical person again. Yeah. Yeah. And to, you know, there's a whole section, you know, in the, in the cycle of compassionate transformation, awareness, expression, and connection. In connection, it's really like flowing meditations to help us to learn to connect to self learning how to connect with others and learning to connect with spirit. It's a little bit of a flowing meditations in those ways and to recognize what would serve me most within this time when I'm struggling, where can I find connection that will support me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you help address the uh, question of what do you do when your physical connection is gone and you, you know, you, you make it pretty clear that the root of suffering is disconnection. And so just thinking about those moments of grief, whether you're crying because your dog died or your dad died, it doesn't really matter. You can start to say things to yourself like, thank you for the love you gave me. Thank you for making my life more meaningful. Thank you for breaking my heart with your absence because I see and feel what's important in life. And so you can say those in the moment of grief. And I think on the flip side, if those folks and that dog is still alive, start to tell them about the pleasure and joy they're bringing into your life while they're still here. So these are some of the you know perspective shifts and types of language you can use with yourself as you try to find connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. And literally in that space of of grief is disconnection. And literally the space of what yoga means is yoga means union, connection. And I recognize that union and connection comes from a mind, body, spirit connection. Um, And uh, I just, I, I think that, you know, if we experience these deep losses, um, you know, how, how, how devastating it is, but in some ways it, it can be a wake up call to say what love is still here, what love is still around me. Um, I, I think that, you know, my, my, um, my stepson died a few years ago. My sister who I dedicate a lot of this practice to, she passed away from cancer And Mm. I think that it's important to reflect and to remember on them, but I also need to reflect and remember who is here now that, that I can be with, that I can connect. You know, I, I think that they would want me to continue to, to go on living and to, to, to feel sadness and, but to also find authentic connections. My sister would want me to continue to laugh. Um, so, uh, you know, how how am I different after loving them? Yeah, when you think about the cycle of compassionate transformation, it seems like at that point, you're starting to get to surrender. One of the lines I really like in that section is getting to a point where you can let go of the pain, not the person. I feel like a lot of times people maybe have guilt around moving forward with their life, or maybe there's some element of survivor's guilt if, let's say, like lost a child or of someone that was in your care in some way, but I really like that. You know, it's not about letting go of the person, it's letting go of the pain so you can share your love with the people that are still here and that still need you. Absolutely. And there are so many people that, especially like I was working with um, a, a mother who had, um, whose child had died. And in that space, uh, kind of near the end of the class, there was a part of me that was like, uh, let go. And she had a strong reaction about it. she's like i don't want to let go of my son and i said you know i'm not a, i don't i'm not 
asking for you to let go of your son. I, I said, I'm just inviting you to, can you, can you soften and let go of some of this pain? And I remember her saying, she's like, no, I can't. And I'm like, okay. And I, I think that, that sometimes what happens is, is that people are afraid to soften and to let go because they feel like that's their way of keeping the connection. Mm. And I think that there's a possibility that we can create still a deeping, a deeper connection that doesn't have to be about the pain. It can, it can literally, I, I, I believe that the love continues. I believe that the love is eternal because, um, because a part of them lives on in me. And I recognize I have to develop, um, a new relationship, um, with that person. Um, and, uh, but I do think it's possible to surrender and, and, and let go because perhaps it, it creates the possibility of me connecting to a power greater than myself. You know, perhaps that place of surrendering, softening the body, softening the mind, um, helps me to, uh, to open myself up a little bit more to the mystery of life. Yeah, absolutely. And it, maybe a challenge is that there is a requirement of trust that if I let go, things will be okay. And I think people may have an issue with that. I mean, you start that section with a quote by Joseph Campbell, we must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. And that is uh, that might be incredibly difficult for some people. So difficult. <laughs> that ain't easy. <laughs> that ain't easy at all. Yeah, I, I think that... There's a plot process of perhaps even having to grieve the dreams that will never be, that the life that we thought that we were going to, that was going to happen, um, and how important that process is so we can step into the life that maybe can happen. Maybe I've, I've always been drawn to, and I think a part of me is what, what's brought me to this work is, is it possible to create something meaningful within the devastation. Mm. Is it possible to notice where my life has kind of crumbled down and to start to put the pieces back together again that can, that can express something meaningful about my life, about um, the lives of those who have touched me deeply? And so um, in that space, it's, it, it does go into a place of, of trust. I trust, you know, um, that... Uh, that I can that I can let go of my sister, but it it moves into a different relationship. Um, I trust that um, my breath will continue to happen, and I don't even have to focus on it. It just is is happening. I trust that my my hair will continue to grow. I my you know there's 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 a we are constantly things are there's a support that I trust that this chair right here is going to support me. So. Even trust in the that place. death is going to miss you today, like all that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I recognize the loss and I recognize the pain. And is there a possibility that I can find trust here? And even in those moments where I might not be able to find it, a word, uh, a mantra that I use um, is is the word "help me." Mm. You know, help me to trust. Help me to let go of the pain. Help me to. 
you know, be kinder to myself. Sometimes just the little two words of help me can be a great support. Mm. That's huge. I know we're talking about surrender in the context of grief, but I also think about surrender in the context of even like what you did. I mean, you were doing, you were teaching grief yoga years ago when no one really understood this. And like that took um, faith and that took like a requirement of leap and trusting that the net was going to appear. And so I just try to connect it to entrepreneurs and people who are taking chances on themselves, people right now who are trying to disrupt something when everyone else is laughing. Like this is also a form of surrender. You kind of just have to let go trust that the next step is going to be there for you and things will manifest. I mean, I put it in my own perspective of this podcast experience. If you told me on Halloween of 2013, when I was taking a one-way flight from Newark, New Jersey to San Francisco, that on Halloween of 2021, I'd be dressed as a hippie talking to two other dudes about grief yoga. I would be speechless because I wouldn't know what to say. And I'm still speechless because it's happening. So it kind of just shows you that anything is possible. <laughs> so surrendering is key. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um you know, some, someone called surrender recently a space of sweet relief. You know, mm. what, if, what if instead of we were trying to force any, anything to happen, it's a, it's a space of almost like letting go and almost like feeling like you're being guided in a way. So I, I think that I, I got to tell you, surrender is not, you know, it's a, it's a constant work in progress for me. I certainly have always, um, but there's something quite, liberating about it and I, I can't help but remember this this i was watching this young girl and she was playing the violin and she was just playing the most beautiful music and there was a group of us that came up to her afterwards and they were like that is so beautiful we, someone asked like what are you thinking about when you're playing and she's like i'm not thinking about anything she's like i'm just being one with the music mm. and it makes me kind of like see how in that space, what if we could surrender almost being an open vessel and allowing it to flow through, whether it be the emotions that we're going through, uh, learning how to soften, learning how to flow. I, I just thought that that, uh, that, that was, um, I would like to surrender and allow the flow to happen for me personally too, more. Absolutely. Yeah. No, th thoughts are very often, kind of weight around our ankles. It's funny though, you, you, you brought up that little anecdote around a young girl. I'm curious, like how do kids respond to a lot of these ideas in some ways? Is it almost easier given the fact that they haven't acquired all the cultural baggage that adults have over their decades or it depends yeah. the age. Now, let's say usually young kids will, will totally go for this because first off, they don't have the words to articulate a lot of the times their pain and their struggle. Um, and so there's a lot of different techniques, like, like going back to like, let's say expression that are powerful ways to let anger move through or finding empowering ways to kind of like, uh, find ways to, to express themselves using movement, breath and sound. Um, now when I've done this with, let's say teenagers, which I gotta tell you, teenagers so need this, but it's also a little awkward for them because they don't want to look ridiculous and stuff mm. too. So um, that's a space where I have found that first off, I was like, gosh, as a teenager, if I could have had this, boy, would I do, would I have ever needed it? Mm -hmm. And so what I have to do then as a guide in that space is to just say, 
I'm just going to go for it. They might think I'm ridiculous. And uh, I don't care because I know the benefits that can happen here. So I have found as a teacher and as a guide, when you just kind of go for it, most of the time they'll follow along and they'll they'll find their own unique expression. But um, I have seen incredible benefits from it. And I think that, uh, that uh, kids and teenagers really need this today because also a lot of the time too, they're, 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 they're disconnected. We, we're living in this new social age where people are kind of glued to their phones and stuff too. So, you know, we, we need to find that, that space of, of expression and connection to support us. We're also living in an era where teenagers are really thinking about their identity in very different ways. And I'm just curious how this all plays out in the future and how they will, they might be dealing with grief and loss in very different ways in the future that many of us are not used to. And I'm just just thinking about this right now, like the future state of our society is going to be really interesting. And that's why understanding grief right now and understanding how to help someone else is like laying the foundation for our our future society. Yeah. I think that I think that so many, you know, kids are, are, are looking at others and comparing themselves to others. And I, I think that that's going to be a constant losing battle. And I think that a lot of kids are probably going to be very depressed. And mm-hmm. so, um, I, I, I do think that, um, yeah, I think that we need to find a, you know, and just kind of like learning about our identities at that age is so, so challenging. And I think in this new social media phase, we're just so comparing ourselves to others and feeling pretty defeated. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw a friend's Facebook account, I was in sophomore year of high school and I kind of didn't really get it. And eventually I went on, you know, to get invited to Facebook when you still had to be invited back then and got an account. But I feel like I just kind of missed that era. Like in college, people had Facebook and towards the tail end, I think people started to create Instagrams, but they're certainly not like the central way that we interacted with each other or socialized. There was this physical world that we were still living in. And yes, there was some neurosis that was starting to be generated from this new sort of digital space where everyone had to have their own avatar. But I feel like I was fortunate enough to escape that just by a hair's breadth, but I feel so bad for the kids that not only have all these different platforms that they're sort of expected to be active on, but now with all this disruption from COVID, so many opportunities for in-person connection with their peers have been lost. A lot of like formational experiences, talk about grief, you know, talk about grief in the sense of missing an opportunity or, you know, feeling like time is gone and, and you've lost out on something. I just, uh, I feel sorry for them. And I hope that there's some force that comes along that helps them reconnect with each other in the physical way in the real world. Because, you know, if it continues to cycle down the way it's going, kids are just going to live in their rooms on their devices all day. Yeah, I I agree with you. And uh, that is my hope too. We have to evolve and evolution is part of your cycle as well. And that's kind of getting into the fact that, you know, our pain does shape who we are and who we can become. And there's a very good chance that as you go through this process, you're not going to be the same person, but that doesn't mean that you can't be whole again. And that's part of evolution and like part of being guided forward. And I thought that you actually posed a couple of great questions in that section that I wanted to read here which is basically like, 
what if this tragic loss you experienced actually helped you expand in ways you didn't know? What if you actually found more balance, happiness, and courage as a result of the loss? Like those two questions put really interesting mindset shifts out there because instead of thinking of grieving as a loss, uh, grieving a loss as like being the finish line, think of grieving the loss as a starting line. Yes, yes. I, I can't help but remember back to a time where I was feeling broken physically. Um, my 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 arm was broken. My my leg was was kind of messed up. It was hard for me to walk. And uh, I remember that was the time when I started to go to yoga to try to like find uh, ways to begin to move and to find ways to 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 heal and to recognize. It was at that time, too, where it made me identify that a lot of grief that I was also experiencing was addictive behavior for myself personally, too, that I had to surrender and let go. But, you know, what was what was interesting for me then at that time was it was um, the birth of something new, which for me that turned out to be this practice of grief yoga. Mm. And so it's learning how to evolve after after devastation that, you know, perhaps something can be born from here that 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 can actually be very meaningful. Um so that's just, you know, my space that I've and and, and the the and in evolving forward the 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 paths that I explore within the cycle of compassionate transformation is about perseverance, purpose, and play. And within those places, it's learning how to find powerful ways to bring courage and strength back back within using movement, breath, and sound. Um, part of that exploration can be a space of purpose. How How can I support others who might be struggling i'm helping is healing and so what's a way that i can maybe offer and give back um and also a sense of like play which is where even things like laughter yoga can come into the play because Mm. you know even just it's a fine line between laughter and tears and i recognize that um sometimes when we embrace that space of, of of laughter even after loss, it just goes to say, you know, these are all different colors of who I am. And even even when my heart is broken, the hope is is that 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 happiness can still breathe and live. I'm curious, have you seen uh, among the people that you work with anything kind of blossom that's that's new in other people's lives? Like have they gone through an evolution? You you ended up creating grief yoga, which is awesome. Have you seen anyone go on to create something sort of like that in their own way? Yeah, there's this one woman that I'm working with, and she just is dealing with a very recent loss. Her son uh, passed away probably, it was about eight months ago. And she's trying to figure out, what do I do now? How, and she's trying to like learn her new identity and stuff. And so one of the ways that she's finding purpose is, is that she is creating space for people to uh, express 
uh, through art in whatever way that they want. And so part of the ways that she's becoming a teacher and guide with the work that I'm doing here is, is she'll take them on the cycle of compassionate transformation, but stick a little bit more like, like she'll start a session off with awareness to get them into their body and to move their body. And then using expression, starting to let some of the struggle move out. But then she'll take a, like a deep dive for her thing about how can we create some art or whatever that is to also find expression? And then, and then at the end of the session, she'll go into a place of connection, something meaningful that, sh that people can remember, some flowing meditations that help them to connect, ways to surrender and soften the body and let go. So in some ways, what she's doing with that is there is an evolution that's happening um, within that space for her. She's evolving to say, this loss has devastated me. I don't know what to do right now, so let me find a little purpose by creating this space that we can, um, you know, release some of the pain to help to remember with more love. That's yeah, excellent work. Sounds like she's found purpose, and she sound, it sounds like she's recalibrated understanding that she's also moving towards her own death with each passing day. And so that's part of the transformation process. And when you mentioned her son passing away, I have to share with you. I mean, there was two points in your book where I realized how ignorant and naive I am. First point was when um, you were describing in the pandemic, how people have gone through loss, but the way they have to process the loss is completely changed. I mean, imagine having to grieve through Zoom when back in the day, you can actually gather at a funeral, which is as much about the living as it is about the dead and that connection. And so when I was reading that, I really, it, for some reason, it really shook me to my core because I just, I started to really think about like, oh my God, this may reflect what's happening in society, right? We see a lot more like pent up anxiety. We see fights in airplanes. We see people storming buildings. And it's like, maybe they have had to process loss in such a different way that they don't really know how to process it. So it's coming out in these major reactions. And it's just think it's just like thinking about like how draining loss can be. Combine that with the fact that people are drained from their jobs, from their relationships. And now like they're drained from having to talk about vaccines all the time. And it's like obviously that's why people are turning to terrible food. They're turning to pills. They're turning to alcohol. And it's like you can clearly see there's some obvious reasons why society seems to be sicker. And it's just like can we just understand that so we can actually show some empathy and compassion to some of these folks who like literally had to maybe grieve the loss of a loved one through Zoom in the last 15 months? It's crazy to me. And it really like put a mirror up to me. I'm like, I literally never thought about this. Right. Yeah. And here's my thought. Grief doesn't need a lot of time. It just needs dedicated time. And so one of the things that I think is important in the, the grieving process is that space of, of a ritual. And I think within the pandemic, those rituals that we would create were disrupted. I remember someone, you know, attending a, a funeral on Zoom and, you know, people were unmuted and it was discat it's just scattered and it was hard and and I, I think that, yeah, I, I also think that funerals are, are, are not so much for the dead, they're for the living. Yeah. And so, um, you know, having those spaces of rituals 
are are very important. And that's it, even though, I mean, for a yoga class, that was a ritual for me. That was my ritual in doing it. You know, we have rituals that, that celebrate life, whether it's a bar mitzvah, whether it's going to a concert. You know, these types of rituals are very sacred things that help us to, um, I help us to make the mundane experiences in life to be memorable and to be special mm -hmm. and to recognize that within loss, you know, we need that space because the loss, what is gone was something that was special for us. So when we can create those spaces, those little rituals, and it can be in whatever way you want, it can help us to move forward. When mm. we just take little times of dedicated time, it can, it can really make quite a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the adjustment that needs to be made. We had a couples counselor on a couple weeks ago, Dr. Catherine Ford, and she talked about how a lot of the couples that are doing well in the pandemic have intentionally adjusted to the circumstances, you know, not going to work, spending more time together. And I think that her advice was just a universal for everyone, regardless of what kind of relationship or living situation you may be in. We've been thrust into the, this incredibly new circumstance. Where we at least have been the last two years. And no one's really been there to tell us how we should adjust or even that we should adjust. Like you bring up the idea of ritual there and the important rituals to us. Like a lot of kids missed out on the opportunity to go to their graduation. And, you right. know, maybe they were able to have a graduation over Zoom. And that was what we thought the adjustment needed to be. But really, the adjustment was like maybe someone should have sat down with that kid and, you know, asked him or her how they feel about the fact that they're not going to have a graduation. And I think, uh, yeah, to Arjun's point about all this bubbling back up to the surface, I think it's because there's just a lot of people out there that were never given any guidance around how they can adjust to a dramatically different world. And we're learning how to adjust to this. We're not, we're, this is something we're, we're figuring out. And it's, again, it's like talking about, you know, struggle or grief or loss. I mean, I wasn't taught that as a kid. And so I, I, I think that we're learning how to adjust in, in this new normal and, um, and how, how hard that is. And so I also really recognize we are all struggling. Each of us are struggling in our own unique way. And, um, if we can just, you know, be a little bit more kinder and compassionate to ourselves and to others in this space, I mean, I really think that, <laughs> That's yeah, no, absolutely. Just to piggyback off that one point, just so we can actually understand what another person might be going through. It's like, you know, it's more common than you might think that a or you want to believe that there are more widows and widowers out there who actually might be jealous when they see other happy married couple, married couples. Like you have to be cognizant of what people might be feeling, right? There, it's pretty common if you know you're a child and you lost a parent to then be jealous of other children who still have parents. Or it could be common for a parent who lost a child to be jealous of another parent who has like someone who's still living and who's a child who's healthy, right? So there's all these like underlying emotions to your point, everyone's struggling, everyone's trying to keep it together. Just recognizing that the person you're talking to could be in one of these buckets is really all you need to know as to why you should just be kind to everyone. And most of those times within those jealousies, a lot of the times it's unspoken too, 
because people are going to judge that. Perhaps you're judging that you feel that way. So a lot of this is an unspoken jealousy and, and, and rage that can come up. And to just recognize again how important it is that that needs to come out. Because if it doesn't, what happens is it creates bitterness and dis-ease inside. And that's in a way why it's like, well, how about we channel that in an empowering way? What if we started to release that pain and struggle out? That's what that's what I think is needed and important. 100%. You know what I mean? In ways that, that, that we can feel powered and controlled so it doesn't get dumped out on the wrong person or right. to the people that we care about. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how grief and yoga, right? Two things that have been around for thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of years are teaching us these new perspectives right now. Totally, totally. And how it will, <laughs> I think that um, uh, both of them will be continual life teachers for me in my life. Mm -hmm. I believe that yoga will be a lifelong teaching experience for me. And I think that grief will too. Um, and uh, I think that it's possible that I can still feel grief and loss. And um, there are times in my day that I will feel peaceful. There will be times where I day I feel angry. There will be times in my day that I will laugh and joy. And to just recognize these are all colors to who we are and how can we learn how to uh, just let them move through us um, so they don't get stuck inside of us. It is cool practicing a tradition that you know will be around centuries after you're gone and yeah. it's been here for thousands of years. It's cool right? to kind of place yourself in that tradition. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, we, we do have one uh, final question for you, Paul. If you could be any animal for a day, what would it be? <laughs> I'd be a puppy. Because um, I just want to live in that space of wonder. I want to be able, yeah, like wonder and just, you know, I like, I had a, I, I, I have a, my dog, Lucy. I remember when I brought her here as a puppy and I just put her in the grass and she was just in such a maze and wonder and she would like find a leaf and she would treat it was like a chip or something like that. So just to be in a space of like, you know, innocence and curiosity and wonder that I, I would lean towards that. <laughs> yeah. And forever excitement too. Everything's exciting. Totally. <laughs> totally. I'm going to embrace my puppy within today. Awesome. <laughs> to today. Love that. Love that. <laughs> well, the book is Healing Through Yoga, Transform Loss into Empowerment. A lot of great insights in there. Also a lot of great illustrated exercises. Uh, for readers, the book will be released on January 18th, 2022. I think you can pre-order it now. Uh, you can Paul, if you order yeah. it. Also, uh, anybody who pre-orders it, they get a free online companion course to help them support the book too. And uh, they can find out more information about that on griefyoga.com. Excellent. Well, Paul, it's really been fun talking with you today. I know it's a heavy subject, but I feel like we covered a lot of ground and uh, I certainly got a lot out of the conversation. So thank you for joining us. You bet. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, this thank was you. fun. It was. If you enjoyed this episode, you can sign up for the Rising Weekly newsletter sent out each week. Every Friday, we expand on the episode with insights, recommendations, and more. You can sign up at risinglaterally.com. Thank you. 